Our text for today is Luke 3, verses 21 to 22, the baptism of Jesus. There our Lord says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Beloved in the Lord, did you know that baptism is an apocalypse? Now, we tend to associate the word apocalypse with the end of all things and the final judgment. It is that, but not only that. An apocalypse is a revelation, a revelation of God's judgment. In baptism, God declares a judgment over the one who is baptized, a judgment of favor. How do we know that? Because of Jesus' baptism, God sent his only son. His only son took on himself the sign of baptism, the sign of purification, so that we might be purified in him. Think about it. We we never come with a perfect repentance before God. We never come with a perfect faith. We needed somebody to be baptized into who lived out his baptism thoroughly. It's in the moment that Christ is baptized that God chooses to reveal the favor he has toward his son. A voice comes from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When we're baptized into Christ, given the status of Christian, that is, the one who belongs to Christ, that same judgment that was given over Christ is given to us. When you see Adrian baptized today, you'll see a judgment offered in favor of Adrian Adrian, so that if he believes in the God who gave him this sign and seal, he may be confident that God will save him from his wrath against sin. I bring you the word of the Lord today under the theme, God provides protection from his own wrath. First, by sending his son to be baptized. Second, by transforming John's baptism. That's John the Baptist's baptism. And third, by his declaration of favor over Christ. We confess that God sent his son into the world in order that he would fulfill all righteousness. Part of that fulfillment was his baptism. And and it was incredibly, we we tend to skip it over in in our Bible reading, but to the gospel writers, it's an incredibly important moment. And we know this because every gospel writer gives us an account of Christ's baptism. It was the beginning of his ministry, the moment that marked him out as the servant of God, the son of God, who was also the lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. But the baptism that Jesus received was not something that we see in the Old Testament. 
Now, there were baptisms in the Old Testament. Men and women would wash themselves because of uncleanness. And if you look at Leviticus 15, you'll see a number of these ritual washings where the people of God are commanded to wash themselves after making themselves unclean in a variety of different ways. This what washing was necessary if they wanted to approach God in the temple. This symbolized their, their purity before God. But the Spirit through the ministry of John, and this isn't Christ's baptism yet, this is already in John's baptism, takes the washings of the Old Testament and gives them a new meaning. He gets to the heart of what those baptisms were about, cleansing from sin. We need to step back for a minute and understand the situation. The land of Israel is ripe for judgment. Those names that we read at the beginning of chapter 3, the Herods, the high priests, those were not good men. Israel was in a bad spot. John tells the Jews in our reading, verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. God's coming in judgment on the Jews, and John is preparing the way by calling the nation of Israel to repentance. He warns Israel of the judgment that is coming. He offers a way out. Repentance, and as a sign of that repentance, baptism. The water is a picture of, wash, of the washing of their sins. By receiving that water, they commit themselves to once again turn toward God. That's why John gives various instructions to the crowds that have been baptized in verses 10 through 14. He tells the crowds to share with one another. He tells the tax collectors to collect no more than, that they, no more than they are authorized to. He tells the soldiers to stop extorting money and to be content with what they receive. The water is a sign of God's call to turn from sin to God's righteousness. And in the midst of this, Jesus is baptized. Why? He doesn't need the baptism of John. He doesn't need to repent and turn from his sin. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? It's because Jesus was sent by God to become sin for us. He has come to bear the wrath of God. All these people are repenting. They're looking to God, looking for renewal. And in the midst of these baptisms, God sends Jesus. The repentance of these people is imperfect. It doesn't cover their sins. The baptism they have received doesn't wash away their sins. It's only a sign that points to Jesus and his work, the blood that truly washes away sin. Luke even emphasizes this in how he structures his sentence. He says, Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized, kind of sounds like Jesus was baptized last, but this isn't true. Jesus is baptized alongside and among these sinners. However, by telling us the story in this way, Luke emphasizes that Jesus' baptism is the culmination of these baptisms. Jesus' baptism is the answer to their baptisms. 
The wrath of God is coming. The axe is at the roots. It isn't ultimately baptism that is going to save these people from the wrath that is coming. It's Jesus. And that's confirmed by God's Word. This is my beloved Son. This is God's gift to those who repent and seek His righteousness. It's because Jesus is called beloved of God that pastors everywhere can call their congregations beloved of God at the beginning of every sermon. Jesus' baptism looks forward to the blood that he's going to provide for the sins of his people. It looks forward to his death and resurrection. It's only in Jesus that these people can be safe from the wrath that is to come. It's the same for us today. The floods of ungodliness surround us, but our baptism points us to the fact that we have a stronghold that we can find refuge in. When God does come in judgment on our society for her wickedness, we know that by faith in Christ, to whom our baptism points, we will be safe. Today, Adrian will be baptized into the death of Jesus. He will receive the promise that his sins will be cleansed. That baptism is a promise that Adrian can have a good conscience before God when he looks to Christ so that he may live by the resurrection of Christ, so that he may share in the righteousness of Christ. But Christian baptism, Jesus' baptism, is bigger than forgiveness of sins. And we see that in our passage as well. When Jesus is baptized and is praying before God, the heavens open and the Spirit in the form comes, in the form of a dove, comes to rest on Jesus. What we see here is a transformation of John's baptism. Notice the emphasis in Luke is that there's an interval, a certain amount of time between Jesus' baptism and God's declaration that Jesus is his beloved son. In that interval, Jesus goes back to the shore and he's praying. Something new is going on here. In response to that prayer, the Spirit comes upon Jesus in in the form of a dove. Jesus is transforming baptism. So let's review for a minute what we've learned about baptism. First, we have the baptisms of the Old Testament. They pointed to the need for purity when joining God in the various feasts of the Old Testament. The Spirit works in John, so he takes that practice and uses it to point to the need for repentance. That's John's baptism. Ultimately, he might not even fully understand this, his baptism points to the blood of Jesus that will wash away sins. But in the baptism of Jesus, there's a new element, the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit rests upon Jesus to equip him for the ministry that God has sent him on. The elements of purification and forgiveness remain, but a new element is added, anointing. Baptism becomes Jesus' ordination. Just as kings, priests, and prophets receive the Spirit upon their anointing, so Jesus receives the Spirit upon His anointing. 
not with oil anymore, but with water. This anointing is shared with the people of God. John foretold this in our reading. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. First Christ had to be anointed. First Christ had to receive the Holy Spirit. And now, by his death and resurrection, he shares that anointing in his baptism. We still baptize with water, but that water points to the fire of Pentecost and the Spirit of Christ. By virtue of his baptism, Christ comes by the Holy Spirit and into our service, and by the hand of the minister, he baptizes us. Baptism is a revelation. It's, as we said, apocalyptic. According to 1 Peter 3, verse 21, baptism into Christ saves us from the wrath that is to come through faith in the resurrection of Christ. It's important to note, however, that this, bat- this salvation can only be applied through a response of faith. The water itself does nothing. Now, it's important, we see this actually in our passage. It's important to remember here how Jesus receives this blessing from God. Jesus accompanies his baptism with prayer. And this ought to teach us how to treat our baptisms. Through Luke's account, Jesus teaches us how baptism is effective. Baptisms can be effective, cannot be effective, without the prayer of faith. This is because they ought to be done in spirit and truth. Baptism is part of the worship of God. God, through his spirit, comes and takes hold of an individual and baptizes him through the ministry of the pastor. It's part of the worship service. So it too ought to be done in spirit and truth. And that leads us to the the question, is the spirit here? Are we praying through the spirit? Have we lifted up our hearts through prayer to the throne of God? If it is, then we can confess that the baptism we're about to observe really is apocalyptic because it is given out of faith in order to strengthen faith. God is revealing his favor toward his church through baptism. And the prayer doesn't end here. We need the Holy Spirit to continue to strengthen and equip us throughout all our lives so that we live out of union with Jesus Christ, so that we live by the strength of his life. Just as Jesus sought the Holy Spirit through prayer at his baptism so that we might be equipped for the work of his fa- so that he might be equipped for the work of his his father had sent him to do so we also pray for God's equipping throughout our lives The gift of office that we receive in Christ comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit Adrian will receive the status of prophet, priest, and king. He needs our prayers as he begins to seek for the Holy Spirit in his life. And so we also pray for Adrian, our newest member, that he might receive the Holy Spirit and be strengthened to live as a Christian and do the works of a Christian, that he might respond in faith 
Again, baptism doesn't guarantee salvation. Christ calls the one who is baptized to respond in faith to the promises that he has pronounced over him in his baptism. So we also pray for one another and for ourselves, seeking the grace of God and his gifts. As the Catechism says in Lord's Day 45, we seek that grace, we seek his Holy Spirit our whole life. Parents, that's the most important thing you can teach your children to do from day one. To pray, to seek God for forgiveness, for renewal, and for strength. To seek God so that our children might have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to Christians. Why wouldn't we seek that gift constantly? He unites us to Christ so that we will be rescued from the wrath of God. Remember again the whole point of John's baptism. It pointed the people of the time to Christ. Christ who by his office as prophet, priest, and king would fulfill all righteousness. Having done so, he would take our place, take the punishment that we deserved. He would take the wrath that we deserved. When we're baptized into him, that's his promise to us. In Christ, his death and resurrection, you're saved from the wrath that is to come. And more than that, you exercise the office of Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit. As soon as the Spirit comes down out of heaven, descending upon Christ, a voice also comes from heaven declaring God's favor over Christ. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This declaration of favor looks forward to the resurrection of Christ when by Christ's resurrection, God will declare that Christ has offered an acceptable sacrifice. In a similar way, God declares to Jesus and the surrounding people that God has accepted Jesus' baptism, that Jesus has honored God by being baptized. He's fulfilling God's work through his faith and obedience before God. Notice what's going on here as well. We have before us in this scene Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in union with one another. The Son sent by God, now incarnate, living faithfully before his Father. The Holy Spirit empowering and strengthening the Son and the Father declaring that the Son is pleasing to him. In a verse, we have a fuller revelation of the Trinity than we have seen yet in Scripture. That's why you're not just baptized into the name of Christ, but you're baptized into the name of the triune God. We baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, recognizing that when you're baptized into Christ, the incarnate Son of God, you at the same time have communion with all three persons of the Trinity. Is God, because God is truly three and truly one. When you have the name of Christ on you, you have the name of the Father and you have the name of the Holy Spirit as well. So baptism not only reveals a rescue from wrath, but a way to communion with God. Those two, rescue and from wrath and communion with God, they're actually one and the same. 
The only way to be rescued from the wrath that is to come is to flee to the one who is the source of that wrath. Because he has sent his son as an offering for your sake. In Christ, Adrian can have the favor of God. The declaration that God declared over Christ will be declared over him in a few moments. God will establish a formal relationship with Adrian. That leaves Jonathan and Deanna, and by extension, all parents here, a great responsibility. You're called to raise up your children in the fear of the Lord. We've already heard about the importance of prayer in doing that. You're also called to call your children to faith and to do, observe all the things that God has commanded. You have to teach him about his baptism, what Christ accomplished so that he could receive his baptism, and you have to teach him to respond to that baptism. Teach him to seek the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jonathan and Deanna don't have to do that alone because God has given the whole congregation of Christ this task together. The congregation of Christ is a witness to Adrian's baptism. And you're called to encourage him to live his life as a member of Christ. You're called to receive this member. Just as Christ taught us in Matthew 18, you are to receive this member and pray for him. By words and deeds, point him to Christ and his death and resurrection as the way of salvation. So as, that, as 1 Peter 3.21 says, his baptism will be a salvation to him because through it God will provide him with a pure conscience through faith in Christ's work of salvation. You can do this because you too have been baptized into Christ. Through the prayer that comes from faith in God, you can seek the help and wisdom of God's Spirit. We have hope because this work does not come from anything that we do, but through the equipping of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have four accounts of Jesus' baptism. It tells us what God is doing in our baptism. Even as we're bound to Christ's death and resurrection, we're bound to Christ's baptism. In that baptism, God reveals to us a way to escape his wrath. We have that through the free gift of Jesus Christ. By faith, we belong to him so that we don't need to fear anything in this life. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing in response Psalm 62, verses 1, 6, and 7.